Joining me on the show today for a very special interview is James Marshall. Now, James is best known for his work on the series Twin Peaks, which is returning early next year after 26 years. Stay tuned for all that and more. Hello and welcome back to Benjamin Mayo McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and after a bit of a break over the past month, I'm very excited to be back with a special interview with James Marshall. Now, James was on the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, and in the subsequent movie, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, he's also appeared in A Few Good Men, alongside Tom Cruise, Kiefer Sutherland, and Jack Nicholson, and he talks about all those projects and his overall view of acting, and how new media is influencing the way people uh, immerse themselves in films. It's a very interesting interview that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Now, just a quick heads up that... uh, We've got a bit of an unconventional start, we sort of launched straight into it, as opposed to the normal welcome to the show, and uh, also there's a language warning on this interview, so if you're easily offended by swear words, please tune out now. Otherwise, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with James Marshall. Hi, is that James? Yeah, hi Benjamin. Yeah, how are you? Nice nice to finally meet you. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Now, um, just before we get started, was there anything specifically you'd like me to ask you about your career or upcoming projects? Uh, not really, I don't think. Sure, then... Uh, Basically, just enough that I can't talk about pretty much anything having to do with the new Twin Peaks. <laughs> of course not, like, I do completely understand. Yeah, we, uh, well, we all have a gag order, so... Of course, no, I, I do completely <laughs> understand. Right. They actually don't even want me doing any interviews at all. Oh, wow. They don't want any of them. Mm. Yeah, but they, they can't stop that because the agents get all mad. So huh. <laughs> they had to come to a compromise. But originally they didn't want the actors doing... They wanted everybody to shy away from publicity before or whatever. Wow. That, that's, that's a big gag order. That's I noticed that there are a lot of projects that come out now, and they all have uh, gag orders and stuff all over them, like when you audition, which never was before. So I think he kind of set a precedent. Like, I read for something, and in order to get just one page of their silly little script that nobody gives a crap about, they made me sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Mm. So uh, that's becoming, like, the cool, hip thing to do now in Hollywood, I guess, now, because of this whole last couple of years it's been... Because at first, we weren't allowed to even say we were in it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. That's, uh, it, that's, that's amazing. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I see a lot of movies before they're released, but only by a couple of weeks, because I review them or interview actors from them. And they make me sign social media non-disclosure agreements, then review non-disclosure agreements, then podcast non-disclosure agreements. So uh-huh. it, it's really saturated the whole market from, from every angle. Well... With, with something like that, I can cut. Maybe, maybe that's new over there too. Maybe that that did do it. I don't know if that's something new. I can kind of understand them being a little bit more like if you have a product coming out and it's about to be released, you know, and you you want to keep everybody from doing any spoiler stuff. Mm. Um, you know, maybe unless unless you feel like it's new that they're doing it, maybe they're copying it too. Yeah, but, it's it's uh, been the last year. I've been doing this for about three years now, and this has definitely been the last okay, year. Okay, the or last so. year. Yeah, it's like it, maybe it did saturate them because every audition that I've had, they have this NDA thing. It's like it's like they all just went, "Hey, why aren't we giving a shit about our projects the way Lynch is giving a shit about his?" <laughs> you know, it's like kind of funny. It's like, and it's funny. It's that just shows. 
you, the walk, like somebody's walk, like how they go about their life has an effect on other things, you mm-hmm. know? So, like, he did that, and now everybody's, you know... And, yeah, it's obnoxious, kind of, but it's also... I mean, it's the if you want to preserve the material, you know, that's the way to do it, you know? That's, you know, I mean... It's not just to build up excitement, it's to keep it so that when you go to watch it for the first time, you truly don't know what the fuck you're about to see, you mm. know? It, it so. creates the best television. I mean, you look back at that original series of Twin Peaks, and nobody knew what to expect. It, it was completely new. Yeah. Yeah, and I think David is a very secretive person that way, you know? I mean, I think most, most like, people who are that, you know, who are effective in whatever artwork they do, whether it's music or whatever, they just tend to not, they don't brag and they don't talk about stuff too much. Everything is kept under the, you know, radar, so. Mm. So what would you say inspired you to become an actor? Um, well, I, um, I was like, uh, I think I was about four or five, probably yeah, basically as soon as I could like watch TV, basically. So what happened was, um, I used to get up at like, uh, like the second my parents went to bed, I would wait a certain amount of time when I was about five. And it happened a lot between five and seven. That's when I really did it the most. And they'd go to bed around 11, 30, 12, and I would uh, wait about 15, 20 minutes for them to settle in and then when I felt like it was good, I'd get up and I'd sneak into the living room. And back then it was like black, you know, black and white mm. TVs. And I, you know, I have this little protocol. I'd like turn the sound all the way down. So when I turned it on, you know, it wouldn't make a noise. So, and I'd put my hand or a, a small, like, you know, blanket, pillow, whatever I had just to cover the TV. Cause when you turn it on, they used to make this big click noise. So anyway, I'd get the TV rolling and I'd watch old movies like really late at night for like a couple of hours. Like until the, you know, it used to turn off at like two in the morning or something. And like, I remember seeing like Montgomery Clift and like James Dean and, and like Humphrey Bogart movies and, uh, James Cagney and Marilyn Monroe, like all those black and white movies they used to play back then because it didn't cost them, you know. It was, that's what, how TV went, you know. So late at night, you'd see a few, uh, I guess what they'd call, they were like you know, late night movies. They'd call it the late night movie or the late show. And they'd have like an actual feature movie on that may have been released two years before. But then after the late show, on would come all the black and white movies. You know, obviously they didn't have to pay royalties, whatever, very low or whatever, public domain kind of thing. So, but you'd end up getting this sort of like history on everything. And I think... Um, I think there was something about, uh, James Dean and, and particularly, uh, James Dean and Giant struck me, uh, just, just the presence of, of how he was on camera and stuff, just the stuff he was doing, um, like struck me visually. Um, and, uh, Montgomery Clift, I remember thinking that there was something disturbing about him, like how effective and how. I thought how, how beautiful and how transcendent that was that somebody can affect you with their, he had, he had like this soulfulness about him and that he would, he affected people with uh, a look or he would, you know, do things that were so simple and it seemed like he was actually breathing, he was actually a living, breathing, 
person on film, not a character or not an actor playing a character. You felt like you were watching somebody's private life as you knew they were a character in the movie, but it became so, and what it, that magic of it immersing you that way, just in somebody being that simple, I thought was so cool. It was like, man, it, and you could see, I, I felt like after watching that kind of stuff over and over again, you can kind of see, not what they're doing, but you can, you can kind of see, you can see how simple they are compared to the other actors and stuff. And then I thought, maybe that has something to do with it. Like, you know, how simple things can be and not making everything, you know, you know, like a parade or something. Now, now you talk about that level of immersion. Do you think in today's era it's harder for people to find that in TV and film with the amount of, you know, they can have, have multiple screens, they can be on their phone while watching TV, while also playing a game? With all that, do you think that, that creates a, a, a different way of watching TV and do you think that makes it worse? Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's both the, uh, with what has gone on with the technology, there's obviously both bad and good. And uh, the good is that you can follow up so many things and you know uh yeah i do think it has has an effect physiologically on the brain that that it it kind of uh it forces a disassociative see the the thing is though in the bigger picture it's possible that all of this is just meant to be because like you just said immersed and i you know he's immersed in it but look at what happened with like james dean and a lot of those guys and everything people became so immersed in who they were and people copied them and like it, it kind of ruined people's lives in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some respects it made people like in what the same thing with Elvis. It like made people less with Elvis though than those actors who really shook people up like that. You know, um, Elvis people copied them, but not to a detriment. People would copy James Dean and all that, like, and really kind of, it turned into this sort of, self-mutilating kind of like you know uh it became almost negative in some respects because it was and the one good thing about seeing everything uh like that yeah it's kind of a schizophrenic kind of way of viewing three screens at once and stuff is that you can get an idea for a lot of things in a bigger picture realm like i even just said a minute ago like somebody who can immerse in a character like that like and not become part of a parade or some kind of like big show or whatever but sometimes you know, and on balance, that should be happening back then, because back then the acty stuff was, it was all acty in a parade and show and hamming it up and, you know, hey, you guys and all this stuff. And then people came along and made it very breathing and very real and very brought it into a, a noir, noir sort of realm. Um, and, yeah, and then on balance, though, you want to bring back the parade a little bit because life is also big and, and you know, it is all that color too, as well. It's not just dark and movie, and, you know, and all that. And you have to you have to allow for all that, you know. So I think there's a lot of good going on with everything with technology today, with uh, respects of the bigger picture. That in the end, it's all actually it is kind of cooler. But where you lose things, and where hopefully things will somehow I don't know how, but things maybe could balance out, or or maybe. Uh, is the appreciation for um, the analogous stuff, like the appreciation for things that are uh, like that, more simple. And the thing is, when you're looking at stuff online and stuff, you can't sell your audience short. Like, yeah, they'll look at a a ton of stuff, but people are still people, and people are not robots, no matter how many people think they are now or how many people are are forced into behaving that way. Inside, 
we still all see the same and understand is the same kind of thing. And people recognize heart right away. I mean, I do. I can, mm. it's not like you can, it's almost like in, in a person who sings and you can second they sing, it's like, oh my God, you know, they totally got, and the second you see somebody on film, sometimes it's like, ooh, wow, okay. They got like, you know, effortlessly, they can, they, you know, that's somebody who really can do it or, you know, and it captures you, you know, and yeah. Of course. So I, I think people, no matter how much you get distracted, I think people will gravitate eventually. I think people love life as a yin and yang. People love the artificial for a long time. That's fine. But, like, you know, people will always gravitate towards the centered up truth eventually. And things always will swing back to what is truth eventually. You know, it may not spend a whole lot of time there again, but it will always go to that to center up. So, yeah. Yeah, that's my take on it, basically. <laughs> I think that's a fair enough take. And and you mentioned uh, obviously how how a long time ago though those acting stars were more over the top and parade and, and show like. In recent years, we've seen a lot more of a lean towards method acting, um, with actors like Leonardo DiCaprio on The Revenant, and more recently Jared Leto as as the Joker. Do you think this can sometimes have a negative influence on actors' mental health? And what do you do when you take on a role? Well, uh, I, you know, I. It's like, it's kind of a weird thing to talk about because it, it really is, it, it's a, it's like a weird, and you're taking, I can't really name the actors who have said this because I don't want to expose their detail and everything, but they, they're pretty big actors that I've heard say certain things about, in a way, protecting yourself from the roles that you play a little bit, <laughs> like, mm. which uh, I'm not so sure I did, which isn't you know, on certain things back back then, like when I was working on it, I, I didn't really protect myself, even which can show you, even on the little mundane roles can stick to you a little bit. And what I'm talking about, it's a weird thing and it sounds all like woo-woo or whatever. But when you energetically put that much, if you're really into it and you really go for it and you put your mind, body, spirit, cell, everything into that role, you know, and, and you do so without ego, you do so with you know you really go for it you really want to do something that you know you can you can breathe a breath of life into hopefully and and be proud of and be able to you know at least know that you did that even if you screw up on another you maybe don't do so great on something else you did that so you completely immerse You, you don't necessarily take on you don't walk away like you know still talking like the character and Oh God, I can't stop. You know, and here we are. And it doesn't. It's not an indulgent thing like that. When you leave the set, to me, it's pretty much BS that the the character, like, oh, I'm still in character, and I'm doing. That is true to a very small extent, but for the most part, in my opinion, you can turn it off in a minute. What sticks to you, what I find, and when I say protect oneself, is to literally. Uh, uh, when you go for it, don't go for it all the way. It's a weird thing. You go for it all the way, but you put in a little there for yourself so you don't ever cross sort of, it's almost like a spiritual line, you know, mm. because you could be, it's a weird thing and I won't go into it too much, but when people play really dark characters and they really go for it and really try, and then you notice the life gets a little kind of like, it's a little wonked and it's a little like, like, out of balance a little bit and then it's got to right itself after a while and after they go through some stuff you know and it sounds woo woo and stuff but what I find is that it's mostly 
it's mostly almost like what you're if you do have a gift if you can i think everybody does i actually do really do think that everybody everybody on camera is interesting in different ways you know what i mean I do. but when if you have something to where you can be on camera and for whatever reason people tend to gravitate towards your energy or, gra- or to gravitate towards being influenced somewhat by you or whatnot. And then you take that person and you do something on camera because you're playing a bad guy and you do something that goes against everything you believe in. And it's actually, it, even if you do it as a puppet show, it, it's a bad symbology to do as a puppet show. You don't put that out there. And the way they're putting it out there is to say, whoa, this is bad and that's why we're killing him because he's the bad guy. But still you have to do the actual thing, the blah, blah, blah. Well, that can get into weird areas as far as karma goes because if you take an actor who's that influential and here he is doing something that dark and it turns something into like what it does is influence things going towards that area making it okay if you're committed to it if you don't commit all the way to it and you don't wink at the audience it's not a wink but you do it in such a way where it's a weird balance you do it in such a way that you're not quite all the way committed to it, and you're doing it in such a way where without winking, you're still letting know the audience you're an actor playing a part. Somehow, whether it's how you move, or, you know, how, how just whatever it is, your rhythms, or whatever. Because, you know, rather than get so into it that you're, you're you know, <laughs> you know, you're actually getting off, you know, you're getting as close to getting off on whatever evil you're doing to make it look that much more evil. That's where I say you know, so even though the character is getting killed in the end and it shows you how bad he is and all, that actual bite right there, you know, is something that, you know, it's almost like you, you can almost take it with you a little bit. It's a, it's a heaviness that you can almost take with you a little bit that you got to not get into. That kind of stuff is, uh, is, is maybe something people might have to watch out for. But that, to me, that goes in life. I'm learning. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you got to sort of spiritually protect yourself somewhat in life. Uh, anyway, so of course. Uh, you just got to watch what you know. You got to watch what you put out there because you got to understand. Even when you're feeling bad about yourself or whatever, that every person on this earth influences each other in ways we don't realize. You know, so it's just uh, you know, and and also again, yin and yang. You can't be all eggshells and too careful either. But you know, it's it's just you know that's why acting to me, in a sense, it's it's it is sort of a spiritual thing. It's sort of like a. a you know, it's a form of expression that people go to make their living at, which is, a, you know, it's a strange thing. So, uh, you know, that, that becomes something that's um, taking something that's very personal and that can be very spiritual. And then you're also making an income on it. It's kind of a funny thing. You know? so <laughs> it, it is it's a, just, yeah. it's a funny industry. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's just a funny life. It's just a funny life. So, so leading on from that, how much influence do you think TV and, and film and all art forms have on the real world? At times, uh, I don't think it has much. I think we, like I said, I don't sell the audience out short. I think sometimes I get sad about what I'm seeing the human race and myself included falling into sometimes without even realizing, you know, why the hell am I thinking this now or whatever you realize. But all in all, I kind of don't think people are really that bad, eh? And I don't think they're that stupid. And I, I, I wouldn't... Most people get stuff. Most people get it. And and uh, I think what, what I do think... Oh, I think that that the media and all this other stuff influences is, is uh, basically in its... Uh, 
and narrowness and its its scope is narrow. That's all. It's like, and so when people only see a certain amount of a certain type of entertainment, the guy with the gun who runs around and, you know, he's the hero who's going to, oh, there's the guy with the gun again, bang, bang, bang. And, you know, I mean, that goes on and on. We've been doing that for however long. So, you know, and then there's the the other stuff, you know, the the relationship movies, this and that, and the com- comedy mo- What You know, and what I think is missing are several spots that I wouldn't even want to get into right now and all this because I'm trying to not, you know, I'm trying to actually, I'm working on something too and I just don't want to give too much away. But it's like, there, let's just say there are spots that I think that, that are in need of being filled and I think they've sort of been purposefully, you know, I, I think in a sense that, it's narrow for a reason, and I don't think it needs to be narrow at all anymore, along with everybody else. And I think America particularly, like when I went overseas and stuff, the whole media is different. Now it's becoming much more controlled, yeah, everywhere, I guess. But it's like, because I, I haven't been to Europe in a while. But when I went to Europe and, and around the world a little bit, that's, America is very much kept in the dark, more so news-wise and more so informationally than uh, the rest of the world, basically. Mm, that's quite so, interesting. Yeah, we're gonna have films. We'll have films that reflect that. You know what I mean? And it's like we're, if we're if we're going to do movies and stuff, and you're only going to be sort of uh, funded if you you know if it sells easy, which is A, B, and C. This genre, this genre, this genre. You know. And again, because of technology, I can now possibly get a camera that will do a movie for very very little money go buy a camera that can do a movie without any, without anything, without any even post-production to it that will look beautiful compared to, you know, you know, a zillion years ago. That will be like, you know, I can sit there and edit it on my computer. So now, theoretically, you can, you can get your movie out there without, you know, you can get your ideas out there without, uh, you know, it's a whole different world that way. So, you know, I just think we'll, in a nutshell, expand, you know, I'd like to see a more expanded, you know, variety of things. It certainly would be interesting to see a wider variety of content out there in the world. Now, um... Yeah, I mean... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you, you go. No, nothing. I was just going to say it's, uh, it'd be nice to see, uh, you know, something that isn't a relationship movie that's an action movie, that's a this movie, that's a, just something like, uh, that kind of deals... Deal, something that will deal with real real life, what it is now, the temperature and how insane everything is now, and yet how normal and boring everything is now all at the same time. Like how, something that deals, it's not a spiritual movie, but it becomes sort of a spiritual movie, you know, and it's something that touches people in a way that they, or, or, or that they can ID and maybe give a little uh, inspiration to, rather than just going and seeing a movie that's just, you know, and I, without being, I don't want to be a religious holy, but none of that either I'm talking about. I'm just talking about kind of like, you know, I, I would I would want to do something that would refuel people, not take away from or bum out or... Uh, uh, you want to inspire I, and, people, and I, yeah. You know, I wouldn't want to do what's been done in the past. Even like David Lynch said, all ideas have been done, and that's true. Um, but... He's also said, not publicly, but he's also talked about how when ideas are put together, that you can do an original thing that nobody... Because that, that, to me, is where the snowflake is. You know, When you put a bunch of ideas together and you orchestrate it, that never has been done before. That's where the originality comes in. So, yeah, everybody, there's, 
you will not come up with an original idea, but give me a bunch of ideas and put them together in an original way that's never been done before. And that's where I think that's what that's why David is so. I think he's the greatest, and um, that's why he is, and that, and that's why people thirst for his stuff so much, um, because it needs that kind of stuff. Because we tend to be very straight lined about how we do TV, you know, and how we do movies, and it, you know, the edit. This shot is this way, and this is this way, and this way, you know. And you know, understandably, because you get a lot of money on every project has a ton of money put on it, you know, and you got you got pressure beyond belief so uh you know it's an easy thing to say hey stay creative you know what i mean but yeah. that's really what's you know that's what's needed well uh, speaking of, of david lynch let's talk about the original series of twin peaks while you were working on that that first series did you ever imagine how popular the show would become and that all these years later you would have wrapped filming another series no well it's the kind of thing where <laughs> In a weird way, the imagination went kind of what we're talking about here. It's like a little huge back then. We went both ways. But I think all of us pretty much said that. We said after we, during and after we got done shooting the pilot, um, all the people we talked to each other said that was, this is either going to be like big beyond what we can even know because this is because we all knew it shook us it shook everybody up when shooting like everybody has an emotional experience about it some more so than others but um it's something about the writing between david and mark something about something about like there was almost a disturbing like aliveness to the writing it was like it just grabbed you and it was like and it was so real and it was like, so we knew something was there. And at least I did. And that's what the other thing was that if the audience loves it, hates it, regardless, we felt really blessed to be doing that. We felt very, you know, just honored and completely like, uh, like it was a gift to do. And it was a hit for us for, for our whole life. Just the pilot, just the pilot, no matter what it did for our whole life, for the rest of our lives to hold that because it was a really beautiful, special thing to be a part of. And um, a special piece of artwork, I think. I think it's like one of the most beautiful things. So um, uh, that they would hate it is what we thought might happen. Like they're going to see this, and more than half the country is just going to go, "What is this? Oh my god!" You know, da 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 da. And yeah, so we thought both. Basically, we thought either or is going to happen, but either way, we'd love to be a part of it. But we were pretty sure that. Um, we were going to be hugely surprised either way. We were pretty sure that like, it was like, this is going to be, a, you know, this is going to be amazing to like watch on both. Like, so we knew that because we all were kind of going, I mean, especially after we got to see the pilot, you know, we got, went to the, um, went to the screening of the pilot and it was just like, completely, when we see that on the big screen and, and yeah, that truly, truly, completely, uh, just blew everybody to the, you know, it was, it was just so cool. And then, yeah, sitting there waiting for the first press releases or whatever, seeing how people liked it or whatever it was, that was really fun. But it was like, to think that it would go on after 25 years and, and, and do all, you know, it's almost like a funny thing of, I'm, I'm kind of shocked they didn't bring David back to do more 
whether it's Twin Peaks or another series, uh, way sooner because mm. it's it's had such a it's had such like a, a life this whole time. You know what I mean? And people really loved it. You would, you would have thought you know there would have been something to that, but then no, he didn't, and no, they didn't, and you know it went and went and went and and then yeah. Mm. So it's uh, it, it, it feels. I feel, let's just say I feel very, very blessed to be a part of it. <laughs> I mean, that way. Yeah. It's a really neat thing. It really is neat. It, it became such a global phenomenon and, and so quickly. And it was, as I said, it was worldwide. It wasn't just America. It was a, Australia, the UK, everywhere seemed to just adore the show from the get-go. So how has that sort of shaped your, your life, your day-to-day life and your career after that aired? Cause so many people would, you know, presumably recognize you from the show. Yeah, well, the funny thing, the funny thing about that was I, well, I actually have blonde hair, so I, when I, when I was off the show, there's no leather jacket and no black hair, so I would get recognized a little, but they kind of weren't sure, you know, and Mm. then, uh, it certainly did, business-wise, open doors, absolutely, I mean, I got to, uh, I got to audition right away, right, you know, for the director, Rob Reiner, um, because of that show, which, you know, uh, I, for a few good men. And I, I probably would not have gotten right into Rob with the heat behind me and all that to, you know, push it towards that. Uh, might not have gone that way, pretty sure, if, uh, you know, I hadn't done Twin Peaks. And um, that goes for Twin Peaks is really the beginning of it. You know, David Lynch, is, he started, he gave me that opportunity to, uh, then be sort of seen by those other people and sort of uh, taking a chance on, you know? So, mm. yeah. And obviously, as you said, you worked on the movie A Few Good Men. Which do you prefer, TV or film? Um, well, the thing is, is now it's kind of crossing into, because obviously overseeing with all the, the uh, there's a lot of actors and a lot of directors going to uh, television, um, basically, uh, again, the technology, I mean, again, TV screens back in the day were a tube, basically, and if you had a big tube TV, that was really neat, you know, but now you get to have a home theater. Now you can have this huge flat screen with the stereo and all that other stuff. So it's like, you're basically getting a theater-like experience, so they're being shot in the same way as a feature is, you know? Mm. So basically... It's, they're very close in a way now. And, and when Twin Peaks was shot, you wouldn't have known whether you were shooting a feature or a TV show. It was shot to, it was shot to get good stuff on film, basically, you know? So it's like when you get good stuff, you know, you should be able to release it either way. You know, it just should be good. You know, I don't, I do, I think television where it was called, you know, to do TV meant, that you had a one-week work schedule for one entire episode, that you were going to be getting one or two takes on every uh, scene rather than being able to... When you do a feature, you may get five takes, you may get 15, you may get 25 takes, depending on what the director's looking for. On TV, you may get two. Um, so it's very fast, and it's very cheap, on the cheap, that way. So that could be considered smaller, or, uh, you know... So you got the small screen with the small-mindedness of it, being that you get much less of everything, less quality in the acting with the respects of less takes. The writing has to be done overnight because you're on a schedule and da-da-da-da. 
So it's, it cheapens it in the past, but now I think it's different. And now I, I think it it basically is um, much more closer to doing the same thing, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. That's my experience anyway. Certainly. And how do you think Netflix and the, and the creation of Netflix original dramas has changed the quality of, of TV programs? I, definitely. I mean, I, from, from what I can see, it's certainly upped it. You know, I mean, obviously, because it's like given it's forced people to take everything like you were just saying to take it to a feature level experience, you know, so it's like it's all become that one thing. They're trying to make everything as good as possible, which is really cool, you know, and they're giving they seem to be giving the artist more time and more respect to say, okay, we want to make this good, you know, give him what he wants. You know, what does he need to make it like this or what does she need to direct it like this, whatever, you know, so, yeah. Hmm. So, uh, obviously I'm not going to ask you anything specific about the new series of Twin Peaks, but if this was to go exceptionally well and David Lynch and, and Showtime agreed to make another season, would you return? If, if it went well? If it went well and David Lynch wanted to come back on board, and yeah. And they wanted to, that's, that's, that's not up to me to say. Hmm. <laughs> I just put it that way. <laughs> of course, but if they asked you, would you would you return? If they asked me to, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, pretty much anything anything David Lynch would pretty much anything David Lynch would want me to do, I would say yes to. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. All right. Well, uh, just before we let you go, what uh, what projects do you have coming up in the future that our listeners can look forward to seeing you in? doing like uh small independents that have been popping out and stuff nothing really i just uh nothing big i mean small movies small independent couple of horror movies little not even horror they were like almost twilight zone episode like movies um and uh and uh twin and this next year the uh, new twin peaks mm. i'm sure everyone's looking forward to that yeah. Well, uh, finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? Um, basically, that that I would say, take a deep breath and just know if you keep in your mind, know that it's it's a very that's why I say in a way it's a spiritual sort of a, sort of thing more so than other jobs sometimes because because of how hard it is. It's almost like being in the gym every day. It's like forces you to sort of confront certain things. So to keep your mind okay and to understand that, like looking at the bigger thing of everything, going, you know what? It, you know, some jobs aren't meant to be and you may not know why now, you'll know later, you know? Mm. And then you got to understand that if you don't work and you try to work as a musician or as an actor or whatever it is that you're doing, that on, on in the so-called arts, that, that already you're jumping into a thing where you're not going to command a lot of respect from anybody because you're considered whatever because you're trying to do that. And then even when you get some success, you know, life gets strange because now you go, well, all of a sudden all those people who were like, hey, you are now really nice to you. And, and then you can't be bitter about that. You have to like, you know, you got to go, oh, you know. So it's this whole funny growth thing that you do. I would just say keep your mind okay, keep your mind big, know that anything can happen, and that's why why it can be fun sometimes, because, you know, you could struggle and be auditioning for years and nothing happens, and then you get something, and you get a, you know, 
a, a guest spot on, on a TV show or something, and it just turns turns your life into something else for a while, you know. And it just it, it can be really neat if that's what if that's what you want to do, you know. So, and like I said, the other thing is you may not for a few years or many years, and if you don't, you just got to keep you got to keep yourself okay regardless. Because Jack Nicholson said he goes, you don't. He goes, it's funny because one of the one of the people on the set were saying, you know, well, how did you? Uh, stay in there for so long because I've been trying forever and I can't get any work and it gets, I get downhearted. And he said, well, I tried forever and didn't get any work. And then I finally got work. And then I didn't work for 10 years after that. I got work and became what they would call a star. And I didn't work for 10 years. Just went cold. How do you explain that? He goes, you know what you got to do? You just got to stay in there. <laughs> so that's the only thing. Keep your head good and just stay, stay in there. <laughs> Well, thank you for your very wise words of advice and your time today. It's been a true pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you too. That was my chat with James Marshall. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you do have any feedback, please feel free to write into us at feedback at preacherspodcast.net. And also, don't forget that if you can, please donate to the podcast uh, to, to help us keep running. And there's a donate button on the homepage of the website, which is preacherspodcast.net. Any contributions are greatly appreciated. As I'm sure you can imagine, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing the podcast with uh, little or no return. But, as always, let's thank our supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas, Mad Zombie Collectibles, and Mad Band Entertainment. All of their details are in the show notes for this and on the website under the supporters section. And for the first time, I'm very pleased to welcome a new supporter to the show. And that's via Vision Entertainment. And they're a boutique independent Australian-based DVD label, taking premium DVD and video content to major retailers in Australia and New Zealand. Now, they are fairly new to the market, but they've sent some fantastic releases through for me to have a look at, including the complete Farscape box set with the Peacekeepers Wars, Stanley Kubrick Limited Edition Collection, which is wonderful. It's got Spartacus, Doctor Strange Love, and Fear and Desire, all on Blu-ray. Uh, one of the very first times you can get those. They're also releasing Family Ties from the start as a separate DVDs. That's a Michael J. Fox series that some of you may remember from a little while ago now, but it still holds up today. Then we've got the Shakespeare Collection from the BBC, which uh, is a, a truly fantastic way to consume Shakespeare. It's all of the plays of a, a few box sets, including Richard II, Romeo and Juliet, As You Like It. And then, of course, some of the, uh, the lesser-known ones, like Measure for Measure. Also, the Julie Andrews uh, movie On Golden Pond uh, has come to DVD for one of the first time ever in Australia and New Zealand, and you can get that right now. And then there's classic movies, uh, Cliff Richard movies, like Express Bongo, which is also out, and uh, the, the modern uh, interpretation, or the slightly more modern interpretation, of Shakespeare, The Hollow Crown, which stars Jeremy Irons, Tom Hiddleston, and Ben Whishaw. And I know there's a second volume of that starring Benedict Cumberbatch out very soon as well. So their details are, for the first time, included on our website and in the show notes, but we did want to welcome them to the show as a supporter in a very special way. Now, from our theatrical arm of Preacher's Podcast online and on stage comes a brand new Australian tour of Great Detectives of Old Time Radio Live. Now, we performed a version of this show back in 2015 to audience and critical acclaim, but it's been reworked and uh, restylized with a lot of new material, um, and we're very, we're very much looking forward to opening it in the Sydney Fringe Festival uh, this year. We're there from the 13th to the 18th of September, and we're also then in Adelaide from the 28th to the 9th of October, so 28th of September to the 9th of October, and then we're going to hit up Melbourne as well from the 20th to the 26th of February next year. Now, all tickets for those seasons are available right now. There's a link in the show notes. 
And then we are, we are uh, also looking at Canberra, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Darwin, Perth, and Hobart. So uh, we're coming all around Australia. And if you're in Australia, come and see the shows. And uh, here's a little bit of a teaser of what you'll be getting. From Preacher's Podcast Online and on stage comes the theatrical event of a lifetime. Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson. Murder, mystery, comedy, and intrigue. You don't mean he was dead? The 1950s were the golden age of radio drama. Now you can relive three classic mysteries live on stage. Don't turn around. Have a gun. I'll take your word for it. Be immersed as we recreate the experience of attending a 1950s radio drama recording. It's a heart attack. Quick, Rembrandt, help me get him on the couch. Let's get his collar open and loosen his tie. Oh, there we are. I've got his tie off, Candy. Yes, never mind his collar, though. Won't do him any good. Not now. Oh, Candy, you don't mean he's... he's dead? Featuring stories from iconic radio detectives, Candy Matson. And yours truly, Johnny Dollar. You make a practice of waving a 25 caliber automatic at people? Yes, when I need to. And right now is one of those times. Now don't move and don't turn around. The boyfriend, huh? Okay, Tilly. It's okay now. You can come over and finish him off. Just keep the gun on him, Clara. Not if this table isn't glued to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Great detectives of old time radio live touring Australia from September 2016. For more details and tickets, head over to greatdetectivestour.com. That was the trailer for Great Detectives of Old Time Radio Live, which opens in Sydney this September. A ticketing link is available in the show notes for the podcast. We'll be back with another interview very soon, but until then, I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay. See you next time. Bye.